Welcome back to Zevo Talks, a podcast where I get to talk to risk takers, thought leaders and great people making change. I'm your host, Ashling, and on today's episode, we are continuing our exploration into the world of wellness and how it's being implemented in Ireland. Today, we are joined by Sirkin Devetti and Richard Murphy. Sirkin has been instrumental in implementing and tackling well-being in a multinational organisation. Richard is the CEO and founder of Ireland's leading workplace wellbeing company, Sivo Health. So thank you both for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, great to be here, Ashling. So over the past few years, wellbeing has become increasingly important for people, but also for companies. Um, why do you think it matters so much? I think well-being in corporate context, it isn't just a trend that has sparked a few years ago. In fact, it began decades ago. And the focus back then was mainly on employee health and safety. However, over the years, it has evolved into a new definition. And now it includes a wide range of programs that enhances performance, as well as social, psychological, mental and emotional well-being of the employees. So while wellness is a portion of well-being, and that was what most companies were, and really they are, uh, most of them are still focusing on, it isn't the real full picture. In very simple words, well-being is defined as a state of optimal health, happiness, and purpose. So if we think about this um, definition in the corporate context, those well-being programs should include innovative tools and mechanisms to support employees' financial wellness, mindfulness, um, healthy diet, and exercise, stress management, etc. And these efforts to be successful and have a real impact in the company, they have to be supported by leadership behaviors and the company culture. Now, quickly going back to your question, why does well-being matter so much? I think because we all want a good life. We all want a good health and we all want to be the best version of ourselves. And there is nothing more natural than this. We all want to thrive. So just to throw a couple of quick data for you, in the United States, they prescribe antidepressants at 400 times the rate than they did 20 years ago. Then in Ireland, one in six people suffer from depression and one in four have mental health issues. Then from a company point of view, a real focus on um, employee well-being can foster the collaboration, it can enhance the performance, it breaks down silos, reduces the absenteeism and its cost. As Lawrence Mitchell says, and I really like how he puts it, the focus on well-being, it can unlock the unrealized human potential that exists within every workplace. And that is, if you think about it, the basis of heightened performance and productivity for a company. Yeah, without a doubt, Sirkin, I, I, I totally agree. I think when we when we see well-being programs, um, the, the reactive style programs came into play in around the 1950s in the form of the employee assistance programs. Um, they took a jump into kind of more the preventative style around the 1970s with a, with a pharmaceutical company um, whose goal is to reach to be the healthiest workplace um, globally. And um, we see it now in terms of the you, you mentioned about kind of human potential and how we can unlock a true well-being. 
and it's not only I suppose looking at the human potential within work but a throughout life as well and if a workplace is able to provide and assist um, employees in, in making them as healthy as they can be then that's that's probably the, the most powerful gift in a workplace can give to an employee and on the back of that then we look at the kind of the loyalty the employee can show the employer because yeah. this is this is what's coming into play as well so there, there's the like in in employee well-being has been around for centuries um the thoughts of it and the thinking of it um but only over the last few decades have come more to the play and and now people are starting to be more innovative and proactive and um in this in this kind of play as well and want to the best for their employees so um yeah do you believe then that there's a relationship between well-being and productivity at work it's a simple logic first of all people who feel well perform better than people who feel unwell feeling well i think is not just being physically healthy it's about having a purpose enjoying what you do having meaningful social relationships and so performance is about commitment, determination, and concentration. If you're feeling unwell or unhappy, you cannot focus on completing a task or a goal, so you're not performing effectively. Have there been any studies uh, to prove this that could, could convince employers to embrace wellness within their companies? Derek Mowbray says the link between well-being and performance is that people who feel well tend to feel in control of themselves. So then they're able to form attitudes that maintain the sensation of feeling well. And it is this attitude that determines the level of performance. Now there is this, what our gut is telling us about the link between productivity and well-being, but there is also evidence through many researches showing the correlation between productivity and well-being. We know that higher employee well-being is associated with higher morale, which in turn um, leads to higher productivity. In a well-known research article published in Journal of um, Labor Economics in um, 2015, the academics show in a laboratory experiment that increases in well-being were strongly associated with increases in productivity of up to 12%. On another research across 142 countries, Gallup measured employee engagement. So according to this, 13% of employees are engaged in their jobs. It's really low. So the vast majority is not engaged. 63% are not engaged and 24% are actively disengaged. Active disengagement in the workplace, it has a huge loss or cost in terms of productivity and profitability. So in the same research, Gallup estimates, for example, that this costs Germany 112 billion to 138 billion euros per year. And for UK, this is between 52 billion pounds to 70 billion pounds per year. Perfect. And I suppose looking at a kind of um, a piece of research that, that Zivo would have conducted over last, um, we did a 12-month study in a workplace where we took three groups. Um, we did three styles, two styles of intervention and one control group. In one of our interventions, we found over a 12-month period that all staff was uh, retained in the workplace. No one left. There was more promotions within that workplace, within that group as well. And people were far more engaged. So um, 
well-being is extremely important in, in that side of engagement as well um, in retaining and also when during that recruitment side of things as well when you have good well-being um, benefits is, is far more important for a for a workplace that doesn't. So um, in another study then um, conducted by Zero Health we found that 85% of employees claim that both employers and employees play a role in employee health and well-being. So what are your thoughts on this and do you think that it is a two-sided effort? Fundamentally, um, employers have a legal responsibility. They have to provide relevant health and safety measures to their employees. And it's a basic but critical duty of care by the employer for their for their uh, employees. It's also, um, in my opinion, employers' moral and ethical duty to protect employees from any physical or psychological harm. However, I think employee well-being is more than just legal or moral responsibilities. We already talked about it briefly, and you found that in your surveys too. People do expect their um, employers to help them improve their well-being and health. And this is natural. Let's think about it for a second, right? How many hours do you spend at workplace? 39 to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a bit more. <laughs> yeah, like a bit more. <laughs> yeah. But that's true. 40 plus hours a week, probably. And it doesn't stop there. Most of us can't even disengage from work after work hours. So we continue working at home. So the majority of people's time is spent with work or in the workplace. Work and workplace then have an enormous impact on people's lives to live healthy lives. From another perspective then, as I also said before, healthy people with high level of well-being are more engaged at work and they perform much better. So for productivity, it also makes business sense to help and support your employees to be in good health and to be in great well-being. Now, when I say this, it's not about interfering with people's personal lives, but it's more about giving them access to services and tools to help them look after themselves and from there on enhance their well-being. You really cannot force people to take care of themselves, mm -hmm. but you can give them the tools to do that. So it is a two-sided um, effort, in my opinion, yes. And it requires dual responsibility, both from the employer and from the uh, employee. But ultimately, I think it's individuals' responsibility to really own their own well-being. If it's a legal requirement for a company to provide the health and safety factor, um, does that mean then is they're taking it one step further, kind of with wellness programs, uh, that that's seen as a benefit then? Or is it would that be included within the health and safety? You touch off a good point, Ashley, in, in terms of health and safety. Um, like if you look at, say, Disability Act 1988, then the employer has to act on if an employee is going through any mental health difficulties, there has to be an act there. But <clears throat> in terms of health and safety, I think there has been a lot of investment in from employers in safety, um, not more health and safety. When we look at certain industries out there that it, it, if their safety standards, safety policies are up to scratch, then that's OK. And maybe the health can maybe take second fiddle to that. But now we're looking at a kind of a shift where they're seen as comparison and, and on the same line um, as well, because I was at a talk there recently and everyone talks, say, when, for instance, the construction industry and obviously construction industry to safety is extremely important. And when you think about health and safety, you don't think about mental health, really. You think about the more the physical is, if the structure's in place or if the, if the scaffolding up the requirements is everything says standards on the construction site. However, 
people may not come to the fore and talk about their mental health their physical health but now that kind of side of things is becoming more aligned in, in certainly in that industry and other industries that we see as well so um yeah as i suppose health and safety needs to be seen on the same same kind of level when when talking about workplaces i guess because um i would know a lot of offices you'd have to do a manual handling course mm-hmm. and it's a requirement and you can't lift boxes until you do this course kind of thing yeah. whereas um, maybe it's not so enforced to go to a workshop or a talk that's surrounding wellness or mental health yeah. or something so yeah def- definitely a good point as well and and um, we see but but I suppose in saying that as well we can't make things mandatory for employees either you know um, if they don't want to go to a mental health talk or if they don't want to go to a certain activity we can't make them go either you know so um, but if there's policies and mental health charters and, and policies put in place then it, it makes kind of clear transparency from, from the employee from the start is kind of this is what we value and this is what we think is really important so I believe it would be your own best interest to, to kind of go along to this kind of side of things as well you know Yeah. Um, so what is the role then of an employer for workplace well-being? I think this is very much linked to your previous question as well so I suppose well-being is more than just free gym membership and fruit bowls. Work environment and the workplace culture have a huge impact on well-being and then leaders of the company have a vital role to play in defining this. In my opinion, leaders have four fundamental roles they should play to increase workplace well-being without necessarily um, forcing people to take care of themselves, right? And these roles are still in the context of dual responsibility that we discussed. So leaders' role regarding employees' well-being is empower, provide, care, and role model. First, um, the leadership team in a company plays a critical role in creating an environment that empowers their people to manage their own well-being. This isn't about pressuring well-being efforts, as I said, rather advocating the importance of a life well-lived and empower employees to enhance their well-being. Second, um, the company should provide support mechanisms and tools to create a resilient workplace that you can able to cope with demanding work environment. This can be done by putting in place the management processes, business environment and leadership skills to identify and reduce workplace stress and then from there on increase the well-being. Then third, as we said, is to show that you care, that you really care. The company, the leaders of the organization, genuinely and authentically care about their employees' well-being. That's, that's really very important. You have to demonstrate commitment to bettering people's holistic lives from a perspective of you know, purpose, social, community, physical well-being. And then the fourth one is really role modeling it. Authentically display and share your personal well-being practices. Now, as Gallup finds in their workplace research, employees take cues from their managers and they are more likely to take ownership of their well-being when their managers exemplify a life well-lived. For this reason, managers should model well-being to encourage employee participation. A compelling data to share from the same research, when a manager is thriving in well-being, their direct reports are 15% more likely to be thriving in well-being six months later. 
But role modeling, in fact, it doesn't require achieving world-class well-being, right? It is rather managers should authentically display and share their personal well-being practices. And I think what is really very important is that all this has to be underpinned by consistent and continuous messaging. So the communication is really very important. I suppose um, from my end, I am an employer um, as well of, of, of 27 team members and, and looking at them points there, Sirkin, um I, I suppose putting myself in, in my shoes, um, we look at role modeling, I, I think... Uh, I suppose I, I do enjoy exercise. I do enjoy kind of investing in my own mental well-being and even for myself um, to show vulnerability around, like, for instance, I would go see a counsellor every, every couple of times a month, um, which I think I'm, I, I'm, I'm proud of. I think it's a sign of strength. Um, and I don't mind saying that to my team members. Um, it's on a podcast now for everyone to hear that. But, <laughs> but it's I, I don't mind that because um, why not? It, it's not I, I don't struggle have mental health struggles. I don't believe, but it's always good to talk and good to open up to the people as well. So from that end, I think role modeling is important. Um, I do get out sometimes. Try go swimming next door in the gym or or go to the gym myself and. Um, and and try to bring that in into the staff as well. For instance, we um Ashling, who's our podcast host, along with one of our colleagues, Sarah, would have just done the kind of a wellness survey and we're trying to get that up and running um more on a consistent basis within within Zevo ourselves. Um the other thing too, and, and we touched off a few times, is to create that environment. Um I think ourselves we focus on three different teams um this year and which is around education around flexibility and also around community with within zevo so we brought in certain things there um that hopefully can pronounce them kind of three core areas and i think most important is around community and and the culture of a workplace um which is extremely important to get right from the off um culture always beats strategy for breakfast um i i have said that a few times and probably team members are sick of listening to that um a few of them definitely are they've said it to me but but it's true so getting the right type of team members in that yes it's it's work but you have to have a bit of fun as well and and at the end of the day and i i said this in the podcast a few months ago but it's it, it's only work you know you have to live life as well you're in you're in work for 40 hours a week or some of us a little bit more um but it's it, it's it's you know it's not it hasn't been the most shouldn't be the most important thing in your in your life and and saying that as an employer is i think employers have to kind of say that as well you know so and and show that vulnerability is is very important and and well-being as I said is an optimal state of health but both in mentally and physically and if you're going into your um if you're going into your office and 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 there's too many days where you don't want to go in or you're kind of you're rolling your eyes going in, in the morning i'll have to face this at the end and that's not a great place to be and that has an effect on your health so that's why i suppose that culture that role modeling and parent people providing with the right tools and also being very vulnerable as a as a well not very vulnerable but open with, as, as a leader and employer as well to make sure people are safe um they're trusted within the, within the organization and they feel like they're having a bit of fun uh, along the way as well so yeah. Yep. And following on from that, then why isn't offering health insurance and an EAP enough? 
Um, well-being is, I think, not an issue unique to just a couple of companies nowadays. It is a societal issue. So insecure high performers, capitalism increasing, and hence the unsafety of jobs, overexposure to social media every day, every day and ever-increasing demands at workplace and in social life. So many things in the equation that are impacting our well-being, in fact. We have to note here that basically well-being is not the same thing as wellness. In my opinion, wellness is focusing on our physical health after all. But well-being is more than that. It is about muscles, brain, heart, and soul. So well-being is physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological. And altogether, it has an impact on how we live our lives and how we drive our business and get business results. So a basic but fundamentally important benefit like um, health insurance or employee assistance program will not on their own have a positive impact on one's well-being. Companies, I think, need to have a holistic approach and strategy to provide a robust suite of well-being program that focuses on physical, spiritual, emotional, financial and psychological health of their employees. And more importantly, this has to be embedded in the culture of the company. We can see that the workplace is changing and that new generations are entering and older generations are leaving later. So how do you think companies can handle this to maximize their people? Yeah. So today, workplaces are made up of five generations. Millennials now make up more than half of the workforce in many countries. And the first truly digital natives, who are the Generation Z, they have entered the workforce. Now we have five generations with diverse demands and different levels of engagement. So in this context, companies need to communicate effectively to manage these multiple employee needs and expectations. You probably read this before in many articles and researches. So millennials challenge the traditional top-down structure of companies. They want more collaboration, they crave feedback because they're used to receiving it constantly. They want value. Then we know from the well-being perspective, the younger generations at workplace, like millennials and generations that they spend almost twice as much on self uh, on self-care as baby boomers do. This has had an impact on the increase of development and consumption of online apps, digital apps like mindfulness, online coaching, well-being programs. And these are all available for companies to use now. It's also critical for companies to understand and to know their new workforce. Millennials have many ideas and they have to be listened to. Their parents shape their lives around these kids. So to be kept motivated, they need to get what they are used to. And that is being listened to and not to be ignored. So have continuous conversation with them and be really open to learn from them. According to the future workplace research, nearly 40% of millennials, they say that they are stressed and that this negatively impacts their performance at workplace. Companies need to help this young workforce to manage stress. One simple but often I think misunderstood tool is workplace flexibility like flexible working time, longer lunch breaks, more vacation days. They're really very important. Finally, millennials are tech savvy. They have the ability to communicate without actually talking to a person. So they also place a high value on harmony. They enjoy workplaces and relationships relationships that are um, harmonious in nature. 
But then all this comes with a cost because millennials, according to the same future workplace study, they feel unprepared and unequipped to solve conflict, to negotiate or to work with older people. Companies, though, they can help um, they can help them learn to agree to disagree. Millennials value a fast, fast career progression. However, they are not prepared to manage others. So companies should help them develop the skills such as managing conflicts, navigating policies, influencing executive presence or communicating articulately. I, I agree with them. Yeah. The, uh, that I'd like I would be a millennial and I'm very I would rarely make a phone call so I could have a whole conversation without ever picking up a phone and actually talking to someone. Um, I, yeah, I find that funny. Just writing it's very true. It yeah, it's, just, it's straight into an email or a text. Yeah. yeah. No, I think uh, like uh, and I suppose in, in Zivo I'm trying to think of like we are all uh, young enough and, and probably in yeah. most of us are, are that millennial kind of side of things as well. Um, yeah, no, it, it it's definitely interesting to see as well. Like we go into some workplaces who are far more conservative or not far more conservative, but they're probably there for generations and uh, people with 25 years, 30 years experience. And you see they're just even the wellness side of it, like they want like health screening is really important because it's it's your one to one with a person or or people coming in to deliver workshops or trainings or long programs. You're there again in a one to one environment where you look at the the younger generation then are, are are looking at like more mobile application based kind of interventions or programs or gamification style things as well. So and then you can see what kind of the way people are motivated more either extrinsically motivated or intrinsically motivated. So you yeah. adopt kind of uh, wellness programs to suit them kind of in that kind of area as well. So and and I think I think I think HR departments who are working with five different generations in the workplace too is it there's a big learning from them uh, for them as well you know and and probably no one have all the answers of how to really fully engage the full spectrum of a of a of a workplace but it's it's definitely a work in progress because yeah, they'd have different needs to cater to with yeah. every generation and yeah. I guess that the an older generation wouldn't necessarily have first-hand knowledge of what wellness is or well-being is whereas the younger generation kind of already know what self-care is they know about it they've heard about it so. the, the group yeah. in it yeah. yeah um so how do you both then look after your own well-being <laughs> right good question <laughs> so i think i was actually thinking about it and um you might have the thought that you know this guy knows a lot about well-being hits the gym frequently and eat only healthy foods do meditation meditation and stuff so he has to be looking after his well-being super good well in fact i think i am below average um do you know about gi joe fallacy no. <laughs> so uh, it's an interesting, actually, uh, phenomenon. It's that because you just know a stuff, you are good at it. Actually, it isn't true. And this is explained in literature by something funny called G.I. Joe fallacy. So in 1980s, there was this um, super famous weekly show for kids in, on um, American TV. So every week at the end of the show, there was this public announcement for kids you know, something like don't talk to strangers or look both ways when crossing the road, etc. And then a kid in this public announcement says, thank you, G.I. Joe. Now I know. Then G.I. Joe appears to say knowing is half the bottle. 
So in her famous science of well-being lecture at Yale University, Professor Laurie Santos calls this the fallacy. It's this mistaken idea that knowing is half the bottle. So merely knowing something is actually not enough to put into practice or to really change your behaviors or to adopt new habits. I think you have to be committed to increase your own happiness and your well-being. There are many techniques and ways to do it. I have chosen those that really just work for me and I'm determined to apply them, use them really day to day. As simple as I don't eat sugar or I have a desk job and I don't use elevators and push myself to it 100,000 steps a week on average. I go to gym on the same day at the same hour every week and I don't tolerate any clashes, although I have a very demanding job and a kid. I also practice mental skill techniques that I know really help me, um, such as meditation, positive thinking, resetting your reference points, savoring and gratitude. They are easier said than done, but once they become a habit, then they are a normal part of your daily life. And that I think requires commitment and determination. Yeah, from from myself, um, there's, I, I suppose I try to uh, go to the gym uh, two or three times a week. Um, I think after three days of not exercising, I would find myself building up in anxiety. So whether that's the gym and just doing various kind of chin-ups, press-ups and that kind of side of things. Uh, the mental health side of things, I, I would go to a mindfulness class once or twice a month and try practice it myself on a, on a kind of bi-daily, um, every second day basis. Um, obviously eating well I don't think I'm like you circling where I cut out sugar I don't think I could ever cut out sugar Sh- chocolate is, is my downfall but you have to everything in moderation maybe as well go for dark chocolate <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah we'll get there we'll get there Um, but I, I think from even a, a workplace you mentioned a couple of things circling about um, it, it's half the battle is knowing and, and the other half is actually doing you look at kind of workplaces um and you see kind of four different categories where you have people that like they're very intrinsically intrinsically motivated to do things to really feel good and you they don't need any push they're out running and walking and eating healthier and 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 they don't need a whole push in terms of do things really really to to make themselves feel better then you have the kind of more of the um you call them the motivated movers, maybe more family orientated. They like they're kind of getting out and walking, maybe less, um, less kind of intense kind of work, uh, workouts in the gym. Then you have the concerned change makers where they know things are good. They just can't find a line. And then you have the idle dividers who don't want to know anything about it, anything about well-being. So it's, it's kind of knowing what kind of category you might fit into and how to get to the category above that as well and the first first step is awareness of where you are actually on the spectrum is and what kind of small little habits you can you can you can um pull in a, or like i suppose introduce into your life in terms of well-being as well so yeah thank you for listening to another episode of ziva talks we would like to thank Sirkin and richard for joining us today Perfect. Cheers, Ashling. Thank you, Ashling. Both are setting great examples and leading the way within corporate wellness. And as Sirkin told us, people who feel well perform better than people who feel unwell. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.